Anyone in here a book reader? I'm a book reader. Okay, we got some. Have you ever noticed that at the beginning of a book, there's often a statement that tells you the theme of everything that's going to follow? Even if you've just studied English at some point in your life, you've probably been told that by a teacher or professor. But for those who are really looking for it, you often find that within the first pages, there's something sort of captivating, whether it's the narrator's voice who kind of lays something out or a main character who says something provocative or even just a scene or a little piece of the backstory. Many of the greatest books begin this way. For instance, you have Anna Karenina by Leo Tolstoy, which starts, happy families are all alike, but every unhappy family is unhappy in its own way. The whole book is built around this idea of dysfunctional families. Some of you might be familiar with Pride and Prejudice, Jane Austen's sort of classic work. In it, there's this opening line that says, it is a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a good fortune must be in want of a wife. And the whole book and, and the series that goes out from there is all set up to explore this idea of marriage being um, used as a way to ob obtain an advantage socially, and it, it shows, shines light on the, the good side of that and the evil. The book of Acts, this book that we've been studying, is very much the same. There's this really beautiful line that Jesus says towards the beginning in chapter 1, verses 8. He says this, he says, but you, speaking to his disciples, will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. When Luke, Jesus' follower, Dr. Luke, I like to call him because he was a doctor, he wrote some of the books of the Bible, he, he, when he tried to give us this picture to start off the book of Acts, he included those words to sort of set up a theme. For us to see that this was all going to be about the fact that the Holy Spirit would come and empower a great mission. That's what's really at the center of the book. And over the last uh, sort of year in different segments, we've been looking at the book of Acts and sort of questioning and wondering what we could learn about the birth of the early church and how it spread, the good news of Jesus spread like wildfire because of what they did, but more importantly, because of what the Holy Spirit did in and through them. We've asked questions like, what is there that we can replicate? What can we learn? What can we take? What can we grow in together as a church family? But today what we're doing is we're coming to the end. The end of the beginning, as I like to call it. That's actually the title of the sermon today. But it's, it's this idea of where are we now going? We're going today to Acts chapter 28. So if you've got your Bible, join me there. And what we're going to find here is something very interesting. It's as if the book of Acts doesn't have a tidy ending. We're going to find that though we have this launch off in chapter 1, verse 8, we kind of come to a different place in these last verses, chapter 28, verse 16 to 31. And I want us to consider what that could possibly mean. 
Many other books of the Bible that we read come to nice, tidy endings. Not necessarily in the sense that there's no trouble or nothing going on underneath the surface. There's that all throughout Scripture. But it always kind of comes to this place where we see that, that the author of each book sort of brings it to a culmination. But as we come here, you might find yourself thinking, this isn't quite what I expected. So let's read Acts chapter 28, verse 16 to 31. This is at the end of Paul's missionary journeys that are uh, included here in the book of Acts. Writes the, Luke writes this. He says, when we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. Three days later, he called together the local Jewish leaders, and when they had assembled, Paul said to them, my brothers, although I have done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. But the Jews objected. So I was compelled to make an appeal to Caesar. I certainly did not intend to bring any charge against my own people. For this reason, I have asked to see you and talk with you. It's because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. They replied to Paul. They said, we have not received any letters from Judea concerning you, and none of our people who have come from there have reported or said anything bad about you. But we want to hear what your views are, for we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect. So they arranged to meet with Paul on a certain day, and, he, and they came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. He witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God. From the law of Moses and from the prophets, he tried to persuade them about Jesus. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. They disagreed amongst themselves and began to leave after Paul made this final statement. He said, the Holy Spirit spoke through the truth to your ancestors when he said through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will be ever hearing but never understanding, ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart have become callous. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts. And turn, I would heal them. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Now, when I read that, I, I sort of think that this is a bit of a weird ending, as I said. If there's supposed to be this spread of the good news of Jesus to the ends of the earth, it seems weird to me that Luke would shrink everything down. We see this sort of expansive vision that Jesus has painted for his people I'm going to breathe my Holy Spirit into you, and then you are going to go to the very ends of the earth. Well, Paul's not at the ends of the earth. He's right in the middle of it. He's captured, imprisoned, a prisoner in his own home in the city of Rome. Now we might say, oh, this is ancient days. They didn't know the whole world at this point, but that's not true. At this point, they know so much about the world. They know what's going on in Asia. They know what's taking place in Africa. They know that from Rome, so much has gone on up into northern and western Europe. 
There's a lot of known world that the apostles of Jesus never get to. And so this captivating beginning ends with this narrowed down vision. So let's consider what's happening there for a moment. Paul's been in prison. This isn't the first time he's got in trouble with the authorities for going out and sharing the good news about Jesus. But this time, after many missionary journeys, he finds himself in chains in a rented home. And he's not allowed to leave his home. People could come visit him. He was allowed to sort of live his life in that place, but at all times he would be under guard. There'd be a Roman guard who would be with him, likely chained to his physical person so that he couldn't escape, especially when people came into the home. Some scholars even suspect that there, this would have just been his life, even in his sleep, that every six hours a new guard would show up to his home, unlock the last one, and then chain himself up, give the guy the key so he could go back to the office, drop it off for the guy who would come six hours later. But there's this interesting sort of thing that takes place here. It is neat. I mean, he's allowed to do whatever he wants to do, and so I don't know where he sat, perhaps at a table in the kitchen or in his living room, and Paul is able to go about writing some different letters. We know from this place, while he spends two years in chains, he ends up writing four books of our Bible. He ends up writing Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, and Philemon. He can't go anywhere, but people come to see him, as we see here in the scriptures, right? There's all these sort of Jewish leaders who are interested, and they're seeing Paul at this point in history as sort of the leader of this new sect, as they say, that's causing all sorts of trouble. And so they say, we want to come chat with you. We know you're well-chained. We know you're a great philosopher, a great theologian. We're going to come to your home, and we're going to talk. And we see here that they come in droves, more than was expected, as it says in the passage. And they come... And they hear. Now this is maybe, if you were just reading this for the first time, an exciting moment. We're like, okay, this is it. This is the moment where Paul is going to be so compelling. He's going to be so charismatic. He's going to know every word to say that he's going to change all of these leaders. And they're going to be the ones who go from his home and spread the news to all the world. But that's not what happens. In fact, what we end up seeing is something that Jesus taught about before. Do you remember the parable of the sower and the seeds? Jesus one day says, you know, people are going to hear about the kingdom of God and they're going to have one of four reactions. The first reaction is that there's going to be people who reject it immediately. They're going to say, that's nonsense. You're crazy. That's against whatever we believe. And they'll walk away. There will be others who accept it and maybe in an emotional moment they'll cling on to the good news, but then they'll fall away. There's others who will grab hold, but then life is going to be tough, as we all know it, and they're going to fall away. And then finally, there will be a section who will actually grab hold. And this is true. This is what we come to see. The words of Jesus as spoken are now coming to life on the pages we read. Paul speaks to all sorts of people, and there it becomes four groups. Some of these leaders are like, this guy is crazy. I'm glad he's in chains. Please keep him this way. Maybe we should figure out a way to keep his visitors away from him. Maybe we could even kill him. They don't get away with that. There's others who accept for a while and walk away, but then there's just a few more who believe. And that's how the book closes. Verse 30, we read, for two whole years, Paul stays in this rented home, and he welcomes all who came to see him. 
And so he does his best. He proclaims the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Again, this is a weird ending. It's like he, Luke just kind of tells us the story and, and drags us through this journey of all the different apostles going to all these different cities and we go through the highs and the lows and then he's like, oh yeah, and then there's sort of two years where he's under house arrest and then he leaves and I'm not going to tell you anything about that. It's like, come on, Luke. Like, man, like, give, a, give me some more. Like, I want to know what happens. What's going on here? Paul doesn't go to the edge of the world we know following church history that he doesn't even make it that far before he dies uh, a death later on, but we get stuck with this abrupt ending. Now what's happened is people have now debated then, what do we do with this abrupt ending? And some scholars have been led to believe, they just say, hey, you know what, I think we're missing something. Maybe there's a new paragraph. Maybe there's a letter we never wrote that was never written, that, that, that Luke had intended to write. Maybe there's something that's been sort of lost in translation that we haven't grabbed hold of yet. And you know what? I, I don't buy any of those. I actually don't think that that makes any sense with what we understand of Scripture. I believe that the Holy Spirit inspired and breathed into the authors of the Bible exactly what he wanted them to write. I believe that God sort of superintended this process so that the authors would write down exactly what their audience and all of us throughout history would need to hear and to know. And so that makes me wonder, what could this mean? What could the Holy Spirit be saying to us with this abrupt ending? without giving us the fullness of the story. There's clearly a theme that the Holy Spirit would come to all Jesus' followers, that he would compel them and empower them to go out into all the world to bring the good news of the kingdom of God. To give us an insight into this, though, I want us to consider something. I want us to consider all of what Luke wrote. Luke didn't just write the book of Acts, but he also wrote the Gospel of Luke, or what we call the Gospel of Luke. And so what Luke actually did is he wrote two books, and they have a flow. And it's hard to see when we get into the nitty-gritty, but when we really step back, when we really zoom out, we see that he's giving us sort of a pathway that will lead us somewhere if we take it all into consideration. At first, in Luke book one, let's call it, the Gospel of Luke, Luke gives us this picture of how God came from heaven down to earth, how Jesus would come to bring teaching and to bring a new way of life, that he would come to be the embodied bringer of the kingdom of God, and he would come from heaven to earth, and he would move from Na the, the boondocks of Nazareth to Galilee into Jerusalem, to the heart of Judaism, the people who God had said, I have something special in store for you. This is what we see in the flow of the book one. In book, Luke book two, though, the book of Acts, we see the next part of the story. Now what happens is the church in Jerusalem that's received the teachings of Jesus, uh, then when Jesus ascends, they go from there, eventually get inspired by the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, and then they move out 
from Jerusalem to Rome. And we have all sorts of stories of all these different people who are involved along the way, but it does focus a lot on Paul. And so we have book one, Jesus to Jerusalem. Book two, the good news goes from Jerusalem to Rome. But then it ends. What about the ends of the earth? That's part three. I think what what Luke was trying to do is he was trying to get us to understand that the book of Acts is really just the end of the beginning. It's really actually an invitation into something. Luke knew what he was doing. The Holy Spirit knew what he was doing as Luke wrote, as he brings us to this sort of cliffhanger. There's this question that should rise up in all of us who follow Jesus saying, what do we do? Where do we go? How does this story end? And that's God's invitation to come be part of part three. And Luke will never pen that story, but the Holy Spirit will. I've said a number of times as we've gone through this that there used to be this affinity to call the book of Acts the Acts of the Apostles. I think that's mistitled and mislabeled. I think it's the Acts of the Holy Spirit. The central figure of the book of Acts is God himself and how he moves. Sure, the apostles are a part of that because that was the time that we were in. But now what the Holy Spirit wants to do is he wants to write the next section. He wants to move through the next group of disciples down through history, continuing on to us today and then on to part four. And so where we find ourselves today, I believe, is actually in the midst of part three of four of the New Testament story. We all know the the New Testament story, if we've been followers of Jesus for a while, we we have part one, which is, you know, the Gospels or, or Luke book one. We have Jesus coming from heaven to earth, giving up his life to die as our substitutes in death so we could have a new relationship with Jesus, and then he rise, and when he rises again and doesn't stay dead, he eventually ascends up into heaven, and now we have an opportunity to experience the start of the kingdom. Part two, we know this. We just read it through the book of Acts over the last year. This is the spread of the story out to Rome. And then we have part four. Part four is also already written. This is kind of an interesting thing that God chose to do. God inspired John on the island of Patmos to write what would be to come one day. In the book of Revelation, we are told that one day the fullness of the kingdom of God would come when the work that God wanted to accomplish has been done. Jesus would come. There would be what is sometimes called the second coming of Christ, where the fullness of Jesus' victory that he won on the cross would be complete, and then God will establish a new heaven and a new earth, and all who follow him will live for an eternity in full flourishing in the fullness and presence of the glory of God. And so we have part one, two, and four written in our New Testament. And I believe, again, that was intentional. Because what God wanted to do is he wanted to give us the story He wanted us to understand where he's been moving and he wanted to give us something to be excited for in the end. But then he said, here is the empty pages. Here's the next chapters that I want to fill and I want to do it through my people. He wants to do it through you. Jesus was never shy about this. 
We see that after Jesus died and rose again, he gave what we call the Great Commissioning. He said to his disciples then, but he spoke it to all of us who would follow him now. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go. Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you, and surely I'm going to be with you to the very end end of the age comes back a little bit later acts chapter one i'm going to give you my holy spirit and i want you to move from this place that you are and i want you to go out into the ends of the earth that story is not written there's places upon this earth where people still do not know the name of jesus there's people in our community who still don't know the name of jesus that's hard for some of us to believe especially if we've grown up in the church or been in the church for decades you go hey everybody knows that's not true i'm amazed how often i run into people who have yet to hear the truth about the good news the good news of jesus the goodness of god there's empty pages before us the question is what will be written now, for some of us, that seems quite daunting. And I think it's supposed to be, because we're not supposed to do it on our own. We have to remember this fact that Jesus speaks. He says that I am with you until the very end. I'm going to be with every single one of my followers from when he spoke those words until the last pages written of part three and he in Acts chapter four. He's been with every believer who's followed him since the day of Pentecost. Every single believer, every person who puts their faith and trust in what Jesus did on the cross receives his Holy Spirit in our lives. And that brings truth, and it brings power, it brings gifts, it brings fruit. There's all sorts of things that take place because the Holy Spirit is with us. And so Jesus says, I have come to you. My very presence is living with you. What will you do? Now, I think the reason Luke wrote the book the, the way he did is because he wanted us to come to this place where we go, whoa, like that's a lot, but it's exciting. But what if I can't do it, right? I think Luke knew he would ask that. And I love the way he wrote because as Luke wrote the book of Acts, he picked up on all sorts of stories. Yes, we mainly read about Paul, but we read about all sorts of other people who the Holy Spirit worked through. The Holy Spirit worked through Peter. Peter's the guy who Jesus was saying, hey, I'm going to perform a miracle. Come out on the water. And then Peter didn't float. <laughs> he sank because he didn't believe in the midst of a miracle. Peter's the guy who denied Jesus three times, even when Jesus said, you're going to do it. And he says, no, I won't. I know, I know, I know. A couple hours later, three times. But as the Holy Spirit came into Peter's life, what took place? He became the person which God used to build the church in Jerusalem and in many other places across the Jewish community. The Holy Spirit used John Mark. We talked about the Paul, uh, at one point about the, this tension that happens between this guy named John Mark and Paul because John Mark's a chicken. John Mark goes out on a, on a missions trip, and he's out there, and he's like, yeah, we're going to bring the good news of Jesus, and then people get sick, and it gets really hard, and he goes, see you guys later. I'm going to go back to Jerusalem. 
bails on the mission, totally lets everyone down. But later on, we see that the Holy Spirit uses him and allows him to go out and make a huge difference in all sorts of communities. And God actually restores the relationship of Paul and John Mark to the point where Paul, the most influential figure in Christianity outside of the person of Jesus, says, that's my boy. That's John Mark. Look what he's doing. I am so proud of what God does through that man. Look at Priscilla and Aquila, who we talked about last week. Just two everyday business people doing their thing, doing their best to, 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 to be at work and, and to serve their community. And when God gets a hold of them, what happens? They are the people who end up supporting the mission work of Paul. They end up being the people who support and train Apollo. So he goes out and compels hundreds of people, thousands of people to believe in the name of Jesus. They're the ones who's in their home. Many different churches are established, which become influential churches that we read about in our Bibles today. And then you got Paul. If you met Paul before he met the Holy Spirit, you would have hated the guy. I mean, I don't really even like Paul all that much after I read this, because I think the guy might have been a bit of a jerk sometimes. But Paul, he was a murderer. He hated Christians. He imprisoned women and children. This isn't a good dude. But when the Holy Spirit hits him, lights out on the road to Damascus, everything changes. And he takes this guy who is a murderous, hateful, evil man, and he turns him into something good. He takes him and allows him to become what we would probably consider one of the most prominent figures in Christianity outside of Jesus. I mean, this guy wrote most of our New Testament. This guy is the man who we dedicate much of our thinking to about how we understand who God is and how he wants to work in our world. And look at what he wants. All throughout this story, Luke has been saying, look at what God can do. Look at who he can work through. Look what he's starting with. And look what has come about. Because Holy Spirit came just as Jesus said he would. And so I think what the Holy Spirit is saying to us together as a church family for every one of us who's a follower of Jesus is if he can do that, what can he do through you? What can he do through us? It's an incredible invitation. He's saying it doesn't matter what your problems are. It doesn't matter where you've been in your life. It doesn't matter uh, what sort of background you have or what part of your story has been written to this point. If you're willing to allow the Holy Spirit to grab all of you, he can write new pages that would be worthy of being established in the story of what he wants to do before part four. What a gift. What a joy, what a privilege that we have before us. As we've gone through this book, we need to grab hold here at the end of what was said at the very beginning. I'm going to read these words of Jesus again, and I don't want you to think about the context. We always talk about context. Context is important in the Bible, don't get me wrong, but I don't want you to hear about this just in the context of, oh, Jesus was talking to a group of his followers. I want you to hear, knowing where we are, Jesus speaking to you. This was the invitation all along, is to speak to you here at what Paul would have considered, Luke would have considered the ends of the earth today. 
which still needs more Jesus. Hear these words of Jesus to you. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Those words are spoken to you. The Holy Spirit, if you're a follower of Jesus, has been breathed into you. The question now is, will I go? What will I do? Will I take up this challenge? Will I join the likes of John, Mark, and Paul, and Peter, and Priscilla, and Aquila? Will I join in doing what God wants to do? We have a great invitation before us. We have a wonderful opportunity to do what only God can do through us. So with that invitation, I want to leave you with four last things. Four things to sort of summarize our book of Acts. Four things to consider that if I'm going to take up that invitation, if I'm going to push on through, if I'm going to join the Holy Spirit, it's not going to be easy. Look at the story. It's not going to be easy. But we have an invitation to something exciting. I want you to consider these four things that we need to know. First of all, that we have the Holy Spirit living in you. I'm going to keep saying that. We need to know we have the power of the living God in us. He is present in our lives. The spirit of the living God, the God who created the heavens and the earth is inside of you, wanting to work with you, wanting to work in and through you. The God who came from the security of heaven, from his place of perfection down to earth, who entered in our brokenness and our mess and decided to die on the cross, the most excruciating death so that you could have relationship is in you if you have chosen to believe and receive him. The God who has resurrection power, who rose up from the dead, who ascended into heaven, who has still not died, who will one day come again, who will build a new heaven and a new earth, he is in you. You're right, you might be pathetic. You might really not be able to do a whole lot on your own. You might have a miserable backstory to your life, but it doesn't matter because it's him in you. The Holy Spirit of the living God is in us and he will be with us to the ends of the age when he comes again and then he will be with us for all of eternity. We gotta grab hold of this church. We gotta believe in that. That's gonna be what keeps us going. Second part. We need to pay attention to what the early church did. It says in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of the bread, and to prayer. If we're going to carry out this message, it's going to be hard. If we're going to live the life God calls us to, it's going to be challenging. It's going to have ups and downs, and we are not meant to go it alone. Even Jesus decided to grab a circle of friends to bring him around him, and he said, you know what, one day you're going to go and do greater than I could in the time that I have here. He built us and designed us for community from the very beginning of time, and he wants that to be how we go about doing church. He, he built us and designed us to learn from one another, 
He gave us his word, and now our job is to study it together and challenge it, help one another understand the nuances and correct and train each other and, and build one another up with the scriptures. He's given all of us this ability to have fellowship. And fellowship, I, I, I sometimes rag on that I don't like that word because sometimes I think it just means we like to sit around and have coffee and tea. No, fellowship is being in the presence of God with one another and building each other up. God gave every single person with his Holy Spirit gifts and abilities that he wants us to use to encourage one another. That's what real fellowship is. It's you and I all using everything that God's given to build one another up and build the kingdom of God here in this place, in this church. We got to be together to do that. We got to commit to one another because all of us have our weaknesses, our faults, our hang-ups, our problems, our sins, and we need one another to support and then, uh, committed and undergirding all of that, we need to pray. We need to pray, 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 pray. We need to be a praying church. Because the real strength we know isn't in us. It's in God. But God says, come to me. If you're tired, come to me. If you're lonely, come to me. If you're confused, come to me. I'll give you the truth. You need wisdom, come to me. Talk with me. I'll answer those prayers. We have an invitation to do that, not just on our own but all together. And so if we're going to see this happen, if we're going to be a part of the pages that God wants to write, we need to commit ourselves to being part of the church. We need to regularly meet. We need to sacrifice for one another. It's going to be hard. There's going to be people in the room you don't like. That's okay. God brought them here. Not everyone like Paul. Not everyone like Peter. They certainly didn't like each other a bunch of the time. But look at the story God wrote through them working together, building one another up, committing to one another, praying for each other. It's incredible. That's what we have to do. Third, keep the main thing the main thing. This is sometimes what we lose out on. I don't know why. should be simple, but we do. Whether it's temptation or other things, we go, well, what's church? Church is getting together. It's having a great time. It's giving. It's serving. All those things are good. But what's the real main thing? We read about it in Acts 16.31. It says this, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. The main thing that we're here to do is to lead people into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ and help them reach their families, their whole households, in the name of Jesus. That's why we say together as a church we exist to lead people to be passionate followers of Jesus because that's the main thing. That's what we're all about. And that has to be the main thing for every single one of us. I don't care what you do for work. I don't care where you go to school. I don't care where you spend your time. As long as where you go, you make the main thing the main thing. I'm at work. I'm here to represent Jesus. I'm here to help bring that saving message to the place of work. I'm here at school. I'm going to bring this the main thing, which is Jesus, to this place of school. I'm going to go to my family gathering. My main thing is that I want my household to know the Lord. I'm going to go wherever. My main thing is my main thing. I'm going to, with the power of the Holy Spirit living in me, live a life that leads other people to know the truth, that Jesus is the one who went to the cross. Jesus is the one who rose again. Jesus is the one who is Lord. He's coming back. He's got victory. And a human flourishing for all those around me comes in the name of Jesus. Amen. That's where it is. Man, we almost sent Pat McCostle in here. I love it. Um, but then we've got the number four. And this is what we looked at last week. And I love that we did this the other week with the kids in the room because this is for everything from the youngest kid in our church all the way up to the oldest person in the room. We're called to invest our time, our talent, and our treasure, which means all of us. 
Jesus didn't save you for a part. We don't look at those people who made a huge difference for the Lord. And you know, you know, they're not perfect. They screwed up. They were half-hearted sometimes. But they, we, what we see time and time again, those people who were honored, those people who were lifted up, those people who were exempted, is they continually reminded themselves, or sometimes God had to remind them, but they came to this place where they said, God, everything I have is yours. You gave it to me first. I'm going to give it back to you. That's what it looks like to be invested in on the mission of God. That's what it looks like if we want to see our city, our, our, our neighborhoods, if we want to see the lower mainland, if we want to see our province, if we want to see our country, if we want to see our world one in the name of Jesus. If we really want to see the fulfillment of what Jesus said, then I am going to give you my Holy Spirit and then you're going to go from your hometown to the ends of the world. If we want to see that fulfilled, this is the cost. This is what we need to bring. But the good news is, he's with us. And he's the one writing the story. And not only is he writing the story, but he's already finished the story. You want a little bit of encouragement? Go read Revelation. Don't get bogged down in all the, the weird symbols and all the, the different things that are going on there. And, and don't worry what all that means. Just read it for the fact, of the, for the fact that it says, Jesus is Lord. He's the king. He's going to return. He's going to win. All sickness, sadness, suffering, dying, pain, struggle will end. And then he's going to build a new heaven and a new earth. And you and everybody who you went and reached out to will be in that place they knew the Lord. Church, we have such a marvelous, a marvelous invitation at the end of the book of Acts. Don't get hung up on the fact that Paul was in prison. Don't end, get hung up on the fact that one day you might end up in prison for your faith. You have the joy of knowing that you have a God living in you who wants to do something in and through you to write his story. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for how you ended Acts because, Lord, I know it caused me to have a lot of questions. And Lord God, I thank you that you are the answer to those questions. I thank you that you are present, that you are tangible, that you are alive in my life and in the life of many people here in this room. God, I pray though that we would not just take that for granted, but that we would take up your call, that we would take up your invitation into a better way of life, something that gives us purpose and focus no matter where we are. No matter if we were called here to Abbotsford or if we're going to be called from Abbotsford somewhere else one day, we know that we go with you and you go with us and that you have work to do. God, we thank you that our lives can be purposeful. And God, I know if sometimes for me it feels like a lot of sacrifice and I wonder, is the sacrifice worth it? God, I thank you that you have shown that the answer is yes. God, I pray that for everyone in this room that we would know the cost, but we would be willing to sacrifice it, knowing that we can be invited in with you, that we can know you more deeply, that we can see not just our lives changed, but our families changed, and our, our city changed, and our province changed, and our country changed, and, and Lord, we want to see it all the way to the ends of the earth. Heavenly Father, I thank you for how you have brought everyone into this room. 
I thank you for every person here, everyone who knows you and the gifts that you have given them. I pray that we would be committed to offering those to one another, but most importantly to you. And God, would you do something incredible because of what you have spoken today in this room. Holy Spirit, we invite you to work. We thank you that you are here. Jesus, now we pray that your name would be big. Heavenly Father, would you be glorified because we know we have a lot to look forward to. God, we pray with conviction and boldness because you say you answer every prayer that's prayed with your heart in your name. And so we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.